Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, reporter and editor for Quartz, David Yanofsky, and ProPublica politics reporter, Jessica Hoosman. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to our listeners and my two guests. I'm here with Jessica Hoosman, politics reporter at ProPublica, and David Yanofsky, editor at Quartz. Thank you both for being here. Hey, Sam. Thank you. How are y'all? I'm great. Feeling good. We are joined uh, in studio by, I think, my favorite song of the moment. This is called I Don't Care. It's by Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber. I don't care when I'm with my baby, yeah. All the bad things disappear. You're making me feel like maybe I am somebody. I can't stop listening to it. The little boom, chick, chick. I love that. I love that beat. So anyways, it's currently the number two song in the country. It's very popular. Uh, and Ed Sheeran is making the rounds doing press because this is going to be the first song from his upcoming album of collaborations. So him collaborating with lots of other singers and pop stars, etc. But in one interview this week, Ed Sheeran said that he had an idea about doing a collaboration with Bruno Mars and Justin Bieber to remake the classic song, Lady Marmalade. Do not take that away from the ladies. <laughs> Would they keep the lyrics the same? Well, I cannot imagine Justin Bieber singing those words in French. I'm sorry. Sam, how do you feel about the Christina Aguilera, Maya, uh, oh, the at all version? version. Yeah, I think it's a bit fussy and overdone. <laughs> like Christina Aguilera in general, <laughs> but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> this is the original. This is the classic. I will say that the Christina Aguilera redo was like my absolute jam. And then my mother realized what the lyrics actually said in French. And she was like, stop listening to this immediately. (laughs) All right. I still love Ed Sheeran because in general, he always makes songs that I feel like I could dance to at a wedding reception wildly with someone's grandma. (laughs) Anyway. All right, we're going to start the show as we always do, asking each of us to describe our week of news in only three words. So, Jessica, you're up first. So my three words are more than machines. More than machines. What are you talking about? Well, that sounds very deep, but I'm talking about voting. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a federal agency called the Election Assistance Commission, which is the only sort of by it's intentionally bipartisan Mm -hmm. and its sole job is to help local elections offices to issue guidance on cybersecurity, to help them certify their machines, Mm -hmm. um, all of those things. That agency is just incredibly dysfunctional. Really? Um, What do you mean? So (laughs) they had lots of hearings before this House and Senate Rules Committee and also an Intelligence Committee last week. Um, And the representatives really put the screws to them because there was an OPM report. The Office of Personnel Management came out with a report that basically said that their leadership was incompetent, that the staffing that they Wait, stop. So you're saying the federal agency that kind of oversees election security and compliance has leadership that has been called incompetent. 
I mean, maybe not the word incompetent, but that was definitely the message of the OPM report. Okay, not making me feel safe. (laughs) And this was also sort of referenced by the Mueller investigation. I think we're all really, really focused on whether or not Donald Trump committed obstruction of justice. And obviously that's so important. But one of the more concrete things that Mueller did say, and, you know, I think the case could be made that this is one of the only concrete things that he (laughs) affirmatively said was like, hey, Russia did some stuff. And so there are lots of things that surround the like before you go up to the machine and hit a button, right? Mm -hmm. There's voter registration systems, and we know that those were accessed. We know that the state of Illinois had their voter registration system accessed. We know that at least two counties in Florida did as well. By Russians or what? Yeah. I mean, it's not great. Well, I'm also reading that all of these states and cities and towns across the country, a lot of them need new voting machines and they don't have the money to replace these machines. Um, There's a nonprofit called the Brennan Center and over 100 election officials from states across the country told them that they don't have the right equipment. It must be replaced, but they don't have the money yet to do that. Is that going to change? (laughs) <laughs> I hope so. I think there are a couple of federal laws that would allow for several million dollars to be distributed to states to purchase new machines. And those machines would have to fit a number of different requirements. Um, you know, I think that it's really important for people to understand that, like, in the vast majority of counties, the elections office is funded at the same budget line as, like, summer programming for kids in the park. So, like, they're, like, real choices that counties make are, like, do we renovate the gazebos or (laughs) do we buy voting machines? Like, and I'm not exaggerating. Like, it's a very localized effort. And a lot of the voting machines that we're voting on today are older than the first iPhone. Like, that's not an exaggeration. Yes, because the last time that the federal government distributed any meaningful amount of money for voting machines was the Help America Vote Act of 2002. So, David, I mean, you watched that Mueller press conference just like I did and the rest of us did. And we all saw the media covered in the way that they did. Do It seems as if voting security got lost in that conversation. Do you, as a watcher of this stuff, David, think that, like, it's possible that D.C. and Capitol Hill talk about this stuff seriously ahead of 2020? <laughs> Well, <laughs> you're laughing. Yeah, I'm. I'm laughing because you know that money that came in 2002. That was like the driving force behind that was the election in 2001. 2000 it was the election of 2000, right? Yeah, those hanging chads. Yeah, the hanging chads. Oh, yeah. And so, like, oh, we we can't have butterfly ballots anymore. We should digitize this whole thing. And the and and perhaps people didn't think that process through, and you ended up with all these systems that aren't audit auditable. But. You know, I think that there was real leadership from the top. And I don't mean to sort of dreamily look back on the past and be like, oh, if only we could turn back time. But like the 2000 election in Florida swung in favor of George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. And but there was still no sort of impetus by that administration to be like, we can't talk about Florida because if we talk about Florida too much, maybe people will realize we shouldn't be here. Mm. And I feel like we're seeing that anyway from Trump. And so. It's Congress that needs to get this stuff done, but I think the lack of leadership at the top has really sort of harmed this process. Uh And the state officials that I talk to are really, really frustrated by the lack of federal movement and or even money (laughs) or money, right? And and there's a lot that these states could do with lots of money. So the Election Assistance Commission, that very 
odd federal agency I was talking about earlier would be in charge of distributing that money. And they did mm-hmm. distribute around $335 million last okay. year. Okay. But that was leftover HAVA money, right? That was money left over from 2002. Wow. Congress still hasn't done anything so far. Like the 2016 election happened and there's uh-huh. just been no movement. No movement. Wow. And that's really disappointing. David, you have three words as well about a piece you wrote for Quartz this week, uh, all about the airline industry and the planes we all fly on. They're not worried. They're not worried. What does that mean? Airline executives Mm -hmm. um, are not worried about the mounting problems that are in front of them with the Boeing 737 MAX airplane, this airplane that had two crashes in a matter of months, killed over 300 people. Mm -hmm. And this airplane has since been grounded by authorities all over the world. And this plane is still um, spoken about by airline executives as this financial godsend Hmm. that is going to cut costs and reduce the amount of fuel and increase the number of passengers and even even be quieter. It's going to be better for, like, the people that live near airports. Really? And all these airline executives are very confident in the ability of Boeing to fix the problem with the stabilization systems. But should they be Um, confident in Boeing? I think, I mean, there's been reporting about some pretty lax safety protocol and follow through from Boeing in making these planes. And I think a lot of consumers, I mean, just me myself, I'm like, do I want to see those those ones back in the sky? Do I trust them enough? Should we trust them? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where the confidence comes from. Obviously, um, a lot of these executives have long running relationships with Boeing specifically and all airline manufacturers. And it's a hundred million dollar uh, a product that they bought and that they need to huh. that they need to like get value from and yet i think the public perception of this plane is is absolute and total fear so right now though the planes are not back in the sky so these 737 maxes are still grounded which means uh for a lot of this summer there's going to be hundreds if not thousands of flights canceled and we've already seen the big airlines have to cancel a bunch of flights mm-hmm. and that has folks saying this could be a uh, summer of travel hell because on top of that uh, because of the situation at the southern border Homeland Security might also be sending um, air marshals and TSA agents to the Mexican border to do some security stuff down there so when you look at a lack of TSA agents and longer lines in airports on top of hundreds of flights being canceled because of this Boeing 737 MAX. David, should we expect uh, all of our vacation plans to just be hellacious this summer? <laughs> I mean, I think I feel that way every summer. Um, <laughs> a lot of people don't realize this, that, that the summer summer travel is the busiest time for airports uh, at least in the United States, where you have more flights, you have more passengers, and the planes on those um, that are flying those flights are more full of passengers than at any other time um, of the year, even huh. even the holiday season. There there are airlines out there that are like leasing planes from other airlines to try what? and meet their schedules. Yeah, so it's not going to be fun. Yeah, it's not going to be fun. Yeah, I have three words. Let's hear them. My three words are boycott or not. And I'm talking about a situation happening in Georgia and possibly in a lot of other states across the country very soon uh, in the ongoing debate over recently passed restrictive abortion laws all throughout the South and other states. So we know that for some time now, um, movie shoots and TV shoots have happened in places other than L.A., 
there's been a lot of production all across various states. And lots of states offer these big tax subsidies and incentives to bring productions to their states. Uh, and right now, Georgia has uh, been really big in this regard. A lot of movies and TV shows are made there. But since Georgia passed its own restrictive abortion law set to take effect next year, a bunch of companies are saying we might stop production in Georgia if this law actually takes effect. Warner Media, which owns HBO and CNN, Walt Disney Company, NBC Universal, and Netflix have all said, hey, if this abortion law takes effect, we will rethink being there. So I've seen... Uh, I, I mean, I've had I've had a television show film at my house. I've seen it. What? Being yeah, it's cool. What? Um, okay, pause. But in but your you house? See, in my yeah, in my house. Inside. Of but your don't house. say it so calmly. This is really exciting. What Sam, television Sam, show? Sam, Sam, you live in L.A. <laughs> I live in L.A. This is an L.A. thing. It happens. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wow. I didn't understand why states gave such generous tax incentives to filming until I was basically on a set myself and saw yeah. how many people. How many jobs of of all skill levels? You have highly skilled jobs and you have people moving boxes. Oh, yeah. Then you have people who just sit there and wait and tell you where to park. Like everything has a job and a person to do it. And like this is a question, David, like hearing you talk about the small city it takes to make some of these things. It's hard to overstate how big these productions can be for states economies, you know. In Georgia, where things like Stranger Things and The Hunger Games have been shot, the economic impact is over 90,000 jobs and about $4 billion in wages every year. And those folks are not involved in this fight over abortion laws. They're literally just trying to, you know, feed their families, right? Aren't they? They live in Georgia. They voted for the politicians. That Like, whatever studio, whatever, chose to enter Georgia because of the political climate. They, they were friendly politicians that were giving tax incentives, that were giving yeah. money to these companies for doing business there. And that climate changed politically. So it is terrible for the people that you know make these industries work in those places, but the studios are leaving for the same reason that they came. Well, this has happened before, right? I mean, the bathroom bill in North Carolina led yeah. to huge boycotts. Um, a similar bill about what they referred to as religious freedoms in Indiana also yeah. was repealed because of similar boycotts. Well, by not industry. repealed. They passed well, like a patchover amendment right. to kind of fix it, you know? Yes. So, I mean, it, like it would seem that there is historical precedent for this. And I also think that it is, it's a little bit of a warning to other states. So, for mm. example, one of the reasons that Texas never got around to like actually passing the bathroom bill is because Republicans in that state were like, no, if we, don't we lose do business. this, we will lose so much business. And so it just kept getting killed and like it would pass, but then it wouldn't go through. I mean, but that was the conversation. Like among Republicans, the conversation wasn't, should we pass the bathroom bill because it's good or it's not good? It was, should we pass the bathroom bill and lose business? Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's also especially hard for politicians to save face. In, in those situations to say, oh, I, I, I vote with my convictions. And then, especially in a place like Georgia, you have, oh, Hollywood, Hollywood liberals coming here and telling us yeah. how to run our state. Mm. And then, you know, if they capitulate, that's an easy attack line for any future opponent. Yeah. Coming up, we're going to talk about AirPods, those cute little white wearable smart headphones. A lot of people have a lot of questions over what happens to these things once they die. That is after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Rockets of Awesome, fun and stylish clothing that both kids and parents will love. Rockets of Awesome delivers value and quality by designing on-trend clothes for every occasion. Choose from dozens of -of one-of-a-kind items, ranging from sizes 3 to 12, made with super soft fabrics and all designed to be mixed and matched so you know your kids can grab any two pieces and look put together. Visit rocketsofawesome.com slash minute for 15% savings towards your first purchase today. Support also comes from Verbo. Struggling to find the perfect vacation home? Verbo does the hard work for you, matching you to the perfect place to stay every time. Download VRBO in the App Store. Let Verbo find a home that matches you. Mitch McConnell has become a champion for conservatives. But back in the day, he once got support from groups like labor unions. I marked it down as one of the worst things I've ever done in my life. So you thought about it over the years. Oh, I still think about it every time I see his face. Mitch McConnell, a new series from Embedded. Subscribe now. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders in studio with two guests, Jessica Hoosman, politics reporter at ProPublica, and David Yanofsky, editor at Quartz. Question for you both. Do either of y'all own a pair of Apple AirPods? No. I do, and I love them so much. Why do you love them? They are so convenient. Um, They work better than any other Bluetooth headphone set I have ever had. Um, Hmm. They do not fall out of my ears. See, they fall out of my ear. I have weird-shaped ear canals, but that's not the story. I think I just have, like, hyper-normal-shaped ear canals. Well, lucky for you. (laughs) But, no, I really like them. And we should say what the them is. So... AirPods are probably the most popular Bluetooth headphones, wireless Bluetooth headphones. These are the small little white ones that stick out of your ears. But for a while, there's been a simmering debate in the tech world about these things, Uh, not about how well they work, uh, but about what happens to them after they die. So these little headphones, these AirPods, in some cases, they can poop out after like 18 months. And a lot of folks are reporting now that it's really, really hard to recycle them once they die. That's got a lot of people mad and asking some big questions about Apple and what the company may be doing to the environment with some of their devices. So I called up the journalist Will Aremus to discuss all of this. Hey, Will, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Thanks for your time. So Uh, Will is a senior tech editor at the website One Zero, and he has spent a lot of time researching AirPods and Apple and what this whole AirPod recycle debate says about a lot of other gadgets that we use all the time. It is true that you cannot throw them in your recycling bin. The reason is, this is true of any small device that has a lithium-ion battery, by the way, Mm -hmm. because that battery can't go through the mechanical shredder that they put conventional recycling through. That's a a fire hazard, a toxicity hazard. It's also, you can throw them in the trash, but you're not supposed to because, uh, again, it could be a fire hazard or a toxicity hazard in the dump. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, something we haven't even mentioned is that to get that cobalt that goes into the battery, that's the valuable part, there's a mining process that has a lot of human cost. But uh, what you can do is you can send them back to Apple, and Apple offers to recycle them for you. Well, that sounds good. It it does sound good, Uh but what I found out from talking to one of the recyclers that Apple contracts with is that Apple is actually having to pay recyclers to take the AirPods. Wait, because because (laughs) they have to pay people just to get these out of trash dumps? Well, they have to pay them to to do the work of recycling because 
there are types of hardware that you can recycle and make money on. Hmm. Like if you have a big metal deadbolt lock and you just take that to a recycler, they can get money for that scrap metal. It has mm-hmm. value and it's easy for them to, to just melt it down and reuse it. But with something like AirPods, and again, this is not limited to AirPods. It's true of little devices that have batteries that you can't remove. Uh, you actually have to have the recycler go in with hand tools. Hmm. They use pliers and jigs and these little tiny tools to get it open uh, and to get the battery out. And then once they've got the battery out, they're going to send that to a refiner to try to get the cobalt. Um, They might also try to get little tiny bits of precious metals out of the audio drivers. So really, you're recovering a very small amount of material from each device. That's not worth the labor? It's not worth the labor. That's right. Hmm. That's right. So the time it takes and the energy it takes to pay people to take it apart is not economically justified by the materials you get out of it. So Apple subsidizes this. And it seems as if this all gets back to Apple's design aesthetic. And that means they make things like AirPods that, you know, don't have joints and creases and folds and easy things to take apart. They're made to be one whole unit. So they're just actually not even built to be broken down, right? Right. And so Apple's line was, well, look, this is just how we had to make it. This is how you have to build it. I think this is something Apple's still figuring out. I think for years under Steve Jobs, they had really a no compromises philosophy. It was design first, Mm -hmm. and it was the ease of use uh, for the consumer above all else. And so how far they're willing to compromise on the design of their devices or their business model or the revenues or sales or all those kinds of things, I think still remains to be seen. I, you know, it's it's easy to get bogged down in the details of AirPods specifically, but I think there's a larger issue come out of your story and your work on this, uh, and it's that we live in this time in which we as consumers buy a lot more devices, electronic devices, smart devices, and we're going to keep having this problem probably more in the future. I mean, just me. Uh, I have a smart speaker. I have a smart TV. I have so many newish devices in my home. Should consumers think more about where all this tech stuff goes once it dies? Because this is only going to keep happening, right? We're going to keep buying this stuff. Yeah, I think we have to. And I think the companies that make them are are going to have to think about this more eventually. Um, There's a broader issue in recycling today where a lot of the places materials were sent for recycling, a lot of places in China are now no longer wanting to accept all the stuff that they used to accept. There's going to have to be more recycling in the United States. And particularly with devices powered by lithium-ion batteries, I mean, this is the type of battery that powers everything from devices as tiny as AirPods to things as big as Tesla automobiles. And the nature of lithium-ion batteries is that they can give you a lot of power in a small package very efficiently, but they just don't last forever. And so that's, you know, the more technology is powered by lithium-ion, the bigger an issue this is going to become. Do you think there's any chance that a government here or elsewhere mandates that these companies start making these devices more recyclable? 
It seems like a good idea. I, I don't. <laughs> does it? Is it going to happen? I have no clue. Um, I, I haven't seen a big groundswell of public support for it. I know there's some organizations that are advocating for it. There's also a concept called right to repair, um, which which has gained some currency among sort of wonky tech policy folks. But it's the idea that you should have the right and, and ideally the ability to open up and fix anything you buy, or at least take it to a shop to get it fixed. Yeah, there are a lot of devices where right. if you open them up and try to get them fixed, especially tech devices, including some made by Apple, if you try to open them up and get them fixed, uh, you actually void the warranty. Hmm. There are even some cases where the company will brick your device if you try to take it open and fix it. What do you mean by that? They'll make it so it doesn't work anymore. They'll, wow. they'll, they'll modify the software so your device doesn't work anymore if you open it up. See, the the cynical consumer in me says these big companies are doing stuff like that to keep you in their stores buying a new whatever every year or two. Right. And a lot of people have seen in Apple's business model a form of planned obsolescence, the idea that these mm-hmm. devices, the iPhones, they're not made to last forever. Even if they are durable from a physical hardware perspective, they just become outmoded pretty quickly. Uh, now, you could say that's not Apple's fault. I mean, that's technology advancing. But the reality is that has driven Apple's business and made it one of the most valuable companies in the world. The fact that your $500 or $1,000 phone or tablet um, has to be replaced every two to four years. This is great, Will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Will Aremus of One Zero. His article about AirPods this week is called What Really Happens to AirPods When They Die? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders here with David Yanofsky, editor at Quartz, and Jessica Huzman, political reporter for ProPublica. So hearing that chat, y'all, um, I feel like I need to be more concerned about all the tech stuff I have in my home. I feel like I'm just not doing well enough with all the things once they die. Like, I, I have, in my day, put an old TV out on the street corner, and that's bad. I have, like, a box of <laughs> old electronics in my apartment that I really? just, like, straight up don't know how to recycle. And I, really? And I know that's so lazy, but it's just, like, a box that's sitting in the corner of a closet with, like, a couple of super old laptops that I've, like taken the hard drives out of. I, I don't know wow. what to do with them. So I have the, sa- I have the same box. Yeah. But I know how to recycle it, and I just haven't dealt with it in like how three years. How do you recycle it? There's collection centers. I mean, there's like a spot in Burbank if you want to go to L.A. No. Well, like <laughs> Best Buy take stuff? Yeah, but like actually, actually yes. Like if I take Best Buy? I'm actually pretty sure if you walk into that first set of like automatic doors, and before huh. you go through that second set, there's like some bins there. Oh, yeah. right. I know. I'm going to be yeah. visiting a Best Buy in the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? BRB. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com Minute to learn more. I'm Jesse Thorne. Timothy Simons played Jonah Ryan on HBO's Veep. On a show known for its insults, has anybody 
got more of them than Jonah. If the cruelty registered, our show would be an hour and 15 minutes long because every scene would be like, excuse me, you can't speak to me that way. This week on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, David Yanofsky, editor of The Things Team at Quartz, and Jessica Huseman, politics reporter at ProPublica. Y'all, it is time for my favorite game, Who Said That? Ooh, and this, and that. Are you excited, Jessica, David? I'm so excited. I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little worried. I think I, I haven't had, I haven't read enough news this week. I'm well, whose fault is that? It's I can only blame myself. I'm up on my podcast. I think I'm gonna do well. <laughs> so y'all know how this game goes. I share a quote from the week. You both have to guess who said that, or at least get the story that I'm referring to. The winner, per usual, gets absolutely nothing. <laughs> All right. So this first quote, uh, just tell me the story that I'm talking about. The quote is, it's not quite self-harm, but it's in the same arena. This was a psychologist talking about an article this week that classified the entire world's population into two types of people. Is this the airport article? Yes, (laughs) this is. This is. So there was an article making the rounds this week from The Atlantic that basically says there are only two types of people in the world. Those that get to the airport like two hours early and those who get there exactly at the last minute, rushing to their gate to not have to spend any extra time at the airport. And everyone had thoughts and ideas and opinions about this article. I get there at the very last minute. Same. Depends, really. Depends. I mean, what does there, it there, depend on? It depends. There's a great luxury in getting to the airport like five hours ahead of time. But like, what a luxury is the to luxury? Sit in an airport what is for the, hours? Um, it's certain airport. If you have if you have access to a lounge, well, one percent over here. Great luxury in that. That my outlook on airports has been really harmed by the fact that I fly out of LaGuardia, mm-hmm. oh, God. which is a horrifying cesspool <laughs> where the bathroom is filthy. Like I oh, tweeted no. out a picture actually the last time I was there because the toilet paper roll in the stall that I was in was just a plastic bag that had been tied around the safety bar holding up a toilet paper roll. And I was just like, where am I? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jessica, you got that point. Woo! All right, this next quote is a fill in the blank, okay? Here's the quote. I think blank understands that as excited as he is and appreciative as we are of his support, there's got to be lines drawn. And obviously, you don't want to end up touching a coach because the coach may not realize what's going on in the middle of the action. Who are we talking about? This is probably the most famous basketball fan in the world right now. A fan of the Toronto Raptors who are in the the, NBA Finals. Oh, I don't know his name, but I read the whole article about him. You do know his name. He's like the biggest rapper right now. Oh, Drake? Yes. Oh, I was thinking about the. I was thinking about the the. Um, oh, the super fan. The super fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, this is about Drake, who is perhaps the most famous Toronto Raptors fan. The Raptors made it to the NBA Finals. Uh, good luck to them, and also good luck to the other team, the Warriors. Anyway, uh, but Drake is a very active fan. He sits courtside and he often engages with the players, and he gets up and he dances and he gives them pep talks. He's even given one of the coaches of the Raptors a shoulder rub, and apparently God. there's. <laughs> Reporting this week from ESPN that says ahead of the finals and Toronto being in the finals, the Raptors said, please stop doing that. <laughs> they said, you can't do it anymore. Can you imagine the amount of just like pure self-confidence that you would have to have to be like, I 
am the one that <laughs> yeah. should give this coach a pep talk. It is me. That that's pretty much Drake's whole. Yeah, I, was say I find it like, quite annoying. Like, yeah, can I can I imagine <laughs> can I imagine how much confidence Drake has? Yeah. Yes, I can. I listen to his albums. <laughs> anyway, I mean, Toronto does love him. He is from Toronto. He reps that city very hard. And he's actually uh, the Raptors' global ambassador. And he has been since 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyways, they might have him sit a few rows back in the finals. I think they should. Where's the embassy? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Last quote. Um, this is about a major corporation. That's your hint, okay? Here's the quote. We hacked the results to reach one of the most difficult places, the top of the world's largest search engine. Oh, Who this, is a, this is a, uh, uh, oh, Come on, North yeah. Face. It is, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have confidence oh. in your oh, answers. Yeah, yeah, no, no, well, I wasn't sure. You know, there's, I lumped them all together, North Face, Patagonia, Columbia. Um, <laughs> but North Face did, did this terrible thing this week. Tell us what it was. They, they replaced pictures on Wikipedia of places in, was it Brazil? Places in nature somewhere. Yeah, Yeah, but but just places in nature. And they replaced the photographs with photographs of their own that had people in them wearing North Face gear. What? So North Face went into Wikipedia and put up a bunch of their own images to make it so if you Google Mount Everest, get to the Wikipedia page for Mount Everest, the photos on that Wikipedia page would be a guy on Mount Everest wearing a North Face jacket. And then on top of doing that, they also released a video ad describing how they did it. And they bragged about it. Oh, my God. Adage had a, had a good post on this that was basically like, yes, they did it. And part of their strategy was possibly the outrage that was going to come from it. To get and us that, to talk about it. To get us to talk about wow. it. So anyways, after they bragged about that, they had to apologize when the when the leadership of Wikipedia said, hey, that's unethical and against our principles. So uh, they apologized and said, we hacked the results to reach one of the most difficult places, the top of the world's largest search engine. And they said, sorry about it, but I guess the damage is done or undone or who wins out of this? I don't know. If I want to be real old man about it, I can be like, no one respects anything anymore. (laughs) (laughs) David, congrats. You won. How does it feel? Thank you. It feels, um, (laughs) I feel a little, I I feel a little bad that I was so self-deprecating before. And now, now it just seems all like a, like a phony act. You're like those dudes at the pool hall who are like, I don't know how to play pool. <laughs> and then you win like thousands of dollars. Do I hit this one first? <laughs> Meanwhile, I was like way overconfident in my abilities here. And I, yeah, like, here were, I am crapping on Drake. You were draking yourself up and it didn't work. <laughs> anyway, that concludes Who Said That. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every Friday, we ask listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag and they do. Brent, hit the tape. Hi, Sam. It's Jerome coming to you live from Costa Rica. And I have some people who want to say hello to you. Okay, ticos. (laughs) Okay, okay. That's my family here with my kids and my wife. And we're back visiting all 50 or so of them. Thanks for your show. And we'll talk to you next year. Pura vida. Hi, Sam. This is Francisco calling from Seattle, Washington. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I got married. The best thing to happen to me this week was I got engaged. My husband and I just found out we're pregnant. The best thing that happened to me this week, today specifically, 
is that I finished up my 11th year of teaching. Woot! Here we go, summer vacation. Hi Sam, this is Julio from Chicago. The best part of my week was taking my husband Levi to Mexico City. I was able to show him parts of my culture, language, and people that I hold dear. Hi, my name is Teresa, and I'm from Washington, D.C. The best thing that happened to me this week was I was able to visit with my uncle and to just set eyes on him for my mother, who lives very far away and isn't able to come and visit him. Hey, Sam, this is Trisha. I'm an Episcopal priest in Atlanta, and the best thing that's happened to me this week is that I began a four-month sabbatical. It's allowing me to do some really cool things like go to Tanzania on a wildlife safari with my son, go to Alaska to take pictures of grizzly bears, go to the beach with family and friends, and then in October I get to come back to a job that I love. So I think all that's pretty cool and I'm feeling very lucky. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks. Love the show. Have a great week. I love it. Also, shout out to Jerome and his what sounds like humongous Costa Rican family. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Oh, I want to go to that party. I love huge, loud families. Shout out to the Hoosmans. I miss yes. you, my yes. heart. Thanks to all the folks you heard there. Jerome and his family, Francisco, Catherine, Bianca, Jeff, Julio, Teresa, and Trisha. Hey, listeners, keep sending those best things. But also, for the next week or so, we want to try something different. I want to hear from you describing for me the weirdest thing that happened to you all week. A strange occurrence, a thing that made you laugh, a thing that you're going to tell your friends about at happy hour. You won't believe this. Send that to us, too. We're curious. We want to mix it up a little bit. So your weirdest things, send those as well. All right? What's the weirdest thing that happened to you all this week, David, Jessica? Well, it just burped as you were saying that, so I felt a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) That'll work. Jessica? Oh, my God. Um, You know, last week... Can mm-hmm. I can I cheat and say oh, last yeah. week? Yeah. I got out at my subway stop and there mm-hmm. was a man sitting in an office chair reading a book on the platform. I what don't know book? why. It was poetry. <laughs> he was just I tweeted a picture of this. It's it's real. It happened. I kind of like it. Listeners, if you have stories like those, <laughs> tell me those stories. Email me at samsanders at npr.org. All right. We're going to go out on Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber singing the second most popular song in the country right now. It's called I Don't Care. I love this song, and I don't care what anyone else says about that. I just love it. It's a bop, as kids say. I'll continue to listen. Thank you, sir. Is it right. a bop? A bop? It's a bop. That's a word? Bop is a oh. word. The kids say it's a bop if they like it. If it's I don't think this slaps, but, it, but I think it could bop. <laughs> I'm right. learning so many new things. Yes, you are. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall. We had help this week with editing from Kara Tallow. Uh, Steve Nelson is our director of programming. And our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. All right, listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. You're making me feel maybe I am somebody.